Welcome back to another episode of the Mama To Be Honest podcast. My name is Jenea. This is episode 15. I am so eager to get this episode started. I have a very special guest with me today. About a month ago on my Instagram, I had a little bit of a stream of consciousness about my birth control experience. And, you know, just between um, all of us, like I've had a lot of close friends kind of talk to me about similar thought processes and, you know, anticipating get coming off of birth control and just their experience with birth control in general. And it really sparked kind of a broader conversation about birth control, especially for millennial women that have been on birth control for many cases, like the majority of our adult lives and also when we're adolescents and young adults. And it got to the point where I really was just like, I don't know enough about this and I need to go educate myself. And I am very, very lucky to have this phenomenal woman in my life who knows so much and this is her actual profession. So I would love to welcome uh, Dr. Jessica Comento to the show today. Thank you so much for being here, Jess. Thank you. I'm so excited for this episode. Yay. Thank you for giving me this opportunity oh to gosh. share um, some of my knowledge on this topic, which I am super passionate about. Yeah, I am. You guys are so lucky to have Jess here today. I am just so grateful for her time. I am before I keep going, um, Jessica is a licensed acupuncturist. She's a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And how long have you been a doctor of acupuncture? Um, let's see. Well, um, I actually graduated from acupuncture school in 2019, right before the pandemic started. Oh, boy. So <laughs> um, it was a little interesting. I had to wait about a year before I could get licensed, but I've officially been practicing since uh, January of 2021. Wow. Um, but it's um, something that has been, you know, birth control specifically a part of my personal journey. Um, and just my... Um, journey through Chinese medicine and going to acupuncture school opened my eyes so much to what I had already experienced and been going to through. So yeah. Yeah. So I feel like being able to learn so much more about that. And while you're going through that journey, it's so interesting and so empowering. And I feel like there are a lot of the questions that we have today. Um, I feel like you are going to be able to shed a lot of light on that and just share a ton of knowledge in a perspective that we're not usually given. Um, and I, I think that's awesome to, to be able to have that. So thank you so much for being here. Jessica and I have known each other probably like 10 years now. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. She, yeah, her cousin, Mano, and I are really close friends. What's up, Mano? She's one of my besties. Um, so <laughs> they, they are family. And so Jessica has, I feel like we've become... I'm like honorary cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, she's just a wonderful person, phenomenal woman, human oh, being, and just so grateful to have her in my universe. And I'm just so excited to um, learn more from you and um, for others, other women to to also learn about the things that we've just never been um, never been given the opportunity to learn about, frankly. So. I would love to first learn a little bit about your background and kind of like your motivations for becoming a DACM. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, your background in general and, and what kind of motivated that. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so my decision to go to Chinese medicine school came from, um, uh, you know, 
personal chronic pain situation. Uh, I think that acupuncturists and alternative medicine doctors are often the last stop when people have like tried everything and then they're like, okay, I'm willing to do anything. All right, maybe I'll go see an acupuncturist. And that's exactly what happened to me. Um, in 2013, I thought that I wanted to go to law school and was on a very different life path. And I had been an intern for Congressman Javier Becerra um, on Capitol Hill. It was one winter. I wore bad shoes and I <laughs> developed really bad plantar fasciitis oh, no. and like tendonitis in my foot. And that actually led me to find an acupuncturist who solved my problem with much speed after I'd had pain basically every day for like I want to say like 10 months at wow. least. Um, and wild. so that was kind of my introduction to Chinese medicine. And I was like, okay, whoa, what, what is this? Yeah. Um, he also, the beauty of Chinese medicine is that we look at the person as a whole. So even though I went to see him for a pain I was having in my foot, mm -hmm. um, he ended up, you know, touching this point on my leg and telling me, oh, there's a lot of um, built-up endometrial lining in your uterus. Like, are you on birth control? Oh that God. was, like, one of the first things that he actually said to me. Um, and I was just, like, in shock. I was like, "What? first of all, what does this have to do with my foot pain? Yeah, who are you? Um, yeah. What do you know? <laughs> Second of all, like, how do you know that? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he drew a lot of really amazing connections for me about um, – you know, different things that had been happening with my body that were connected to um, my diet and lifestyle and, you know, things I was doing like birth control that I, it was like mind blowing. I was like, how did I not know about this before? Mm -hmm. um, and how did I not know or think about the fact that everything in your body is connected and we are a whole being, you know, like I think Western medicine is very reductionist and, you know, it has strengths because of that, but it also compartmentalizes the human body a lot. You know, you go see your ophthalmologist for your eye problems, you go see your podiatrist for your feet problems, etc. Um, and so looking at the body as a whole has a lot of benefit. And one of it was, yeah, he just, you know, asked me if I like to eat sour things, which I, if anyone who knows me knows that, <laughs> I have been known to literally eat a lemon um, just with some salt on it. Wow. So, and I was like, yes, I like sour things. <laughs> and he was like, hmm, Chinese medicine, there's a connection between, you know, the flavor sour and the liver and the liver governs ligaments and tendons and it makes you more susceptible to have injuries to your ligaments and wow. tendons. And Anyway, so that whole experience was incredibly eye-opening. It took um, a couple years from there to kind of decide that I wanted to sure. do that as my career. Um, but that was definitely my first experience. And it, I was just, I felt like so inspired mm -hmm. by learning this knowledge. And once I decided and actually went to acupuncture school, it felt very much like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And that was so fulfilling. Like when you find something that you're like, this is yeah. it. This is the thing that I have been looking for. Right. Um, and my, you know, ancestry is Central American. My mm -hmm. mom's from El Salvador. And I always had the opportunity to be witness to a lot of um, like medicinal, traditional Central American practices. My great grandmother um, was a little bit of a healer herself. So I got to watch her oh, make herbal awesome. baths. Wow. Um, with, you know, like leaves from the trees in her garden um, and have all kinds of herbal remedies for things and do s some things that are actually the same as Chinese medicine, like cupping. Cupping is something that like Chinese medicine does, but also like 
tons of yeah. traditional um, healing lineages around the world have used cupping for centuries as well. Um, and so this felt like a way for me to sort of have a legitimate um, entry into healthcare, you know, getting a doctorate, but then being able to use that to like actually elevate other forms of traditional medicine right. that I'm interested in, mainly Central American. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I knew very early on that I wanted to do women's health. Like yeah. I felt like that was like the thing that I want to do. So it was a good intersection for yes, you. Yes. Yeah. It was like bringing all the yeah. pieces of me together that, um, I really was the most passionate about. That's and awesome. I always had, um, a little bit of a, you know, special, just wanting to know more about um, prenatal health, mm-hmm. women's health, um, birth, postpartum. I was fascinated by um, birth and postpartum rituals, mm-hmm. um, you know, just like the cerrada ceremonies that are traditionally done in Mexico and Central America. Um, and just the way that we care for mothers and care for um, women in general, I think what we've gotten you know, kind of far away from living in a society where we can sort of, like, be in alignment with, like, what we need as women in right. order to be, like, healthy and happy and taking care of our our wombs yeah. and, like, doing all that good stuff. So, so yeah, so I feel like that's my journey led me there, and i am now been practicing mostly fertility acupuncture at um, Blue Ova Health in San Francisco Amazing. and uh, basically getting to support women through their journeys of becoming mothers and birth control is absolutely at the top of the list of topics um, as far as women coming to us and wanting um, support, getting off of birth control, navigating the things that they are scared of getting off of birth control, uh, trying to get pregnant, looking for support during IVF as well. And um, yeah, it's been like such an honor to be able to support women through that process. That is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you mentioned it briefly, but so your specialty is fertility, maternal health, and women's health. Do all doctors of acupuncture have a specialty or can you basically treat anyone? Yeah, no, I mean, Mm -hmm. I would say there's a lot of acupuncturists that are like more broad acupuncturists. They just treat whatever walks in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Over time, I think people do develop a specialty Mm -hmm. um, in many cases. And um, often that takes, you know, years of practice and just kind of deciding or figuring out, oh, wow, I'm like really good at this. um, Or this is what's coming to me. But I feel like I, I already had it in my head like that you know I wanted to do women's health I wanted to do fertility I specifically you know made a path to to be able to do that um and so yeah I would say that it's fairly unusual to like have that kind of specialty really early on yeah that's great so we're gonna we are gonna cover it all today I think a lot (laughs) of our conversation is going to center around birth control but like just mentioned we're gonna talk about fertility we're gonna talk about how fertility and birth control kind of Uh, play into each other and just everything that she's learned in her profession. So um, I would love to start kind of with an overview of, um, of birth control. And I I think something I've done kind of in my own research and I, you know, this is something that's often been a little weird and kind of researching and validating for myself and, and having conversations with, with others about this. But I think just the history of birth control is something that many women don't really know fully. Um, I would love if you could kind of share like the history of birth control and um, like how it even became and 
um, how it also became kind of like the feminist narrative that it is today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so birth control was... Um, the first large-scale human trial of birth control was actually conducted by um, Gregory Pincus and John Rock in 1955 in Puerto Rico. I think the important thing to note about that was that it was really an experiment done by you know two white men in what is essentially a U.S. colony, um, and really to the detriment of Puerto Rican women. Um, so the birth control as well as the forced sterilization. I think the numbers are something like a third of Puerto Rican were left like without the ability to have children. That like, is af- wild. You know, <laughs> after that. Um, and yeah, I think that, yeah, we often think of birth control as this very freeing thing. Um, you know, it's touted as like, you know, of course, and of course it is. Like, you want to be it able is, to control yeah. fertility. Like, I'm definitely not anti-birth control and I want to make that clear that this is like not like a birth control is always evil you know there are times where it can be very helpful and is necessary um however I think recognizing the origins is like super important two things can be true yes exactly and the fact that um initially really um giving these Puerto Rican women like 10 times the dose that we now know is like you know safe Safe, and effective um had really devastating effects on the Puerto Rican community, um, on their health, um, and that, you know, initially this wasn't something that was just all positive. You know, there were a lot of negative consequences. And um, I think that controlling population growth for, um, you know, black and brown bodies has been definitely part of the birth control and, you know, sterilization story um, in the United States specifically. Um, and so of course, then you have, you know, the sixties, um, the hippies and their marches, you know, my, my dad was definitely very much like a part of that movement. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, a lot of women sort of just being really grateful that Mm -hmm. they could have access to something that would allow them to control their fertility, to not have kids if they didn't want to. Um, and, and especially coming out of this, you know, like narrative of, women having to be the stay-at-home mom, um, you know, basically we live in the patriarchy <laughs> and, and we know that, like, you know, obviously, like, what women want has never been a priority um, for society at large. And so I think that, like you said, two things can be true. So mm-hmm. on the flip side, it's, like, this really freeing, amazing thing. You know, we do want people to have access to it. We do want, like, the government to, to, to provide that access and to allow that access. Mm-hmm especially relevant now where we're having like, you know, abortions basically being banned, like all, you know, across many U.S. states. Um, so, so that is certainly not the answer. Um, however, I think there's like, um, you know, if we talk about like consent, I think consent is like the big key here of like, you know, yes, this exists and we want access to it, but we also want women to be able to actually consent to what is happening in their bodies. And I think a lot of us, especially like you said, millennial women, like, you know, an our age group who have maybe been on birth control for years and years and years. And we actually, myself included, didn't really know what that was actually doing to our bodies, like what actually was happening with the birth control. So, and and definitely I didn't know the sort of dark history as Mm -hmm. far as like, you know, all these... um, (laughs) I guess doctors aren't really going to go into... (laughs) Especially not in your like 10 to 15 minute appointment where they basically just come in and see you for like two seconds and then leave. Um, Yes, definitely not going to give you a lecture on the history there, but... 
But yes, but the consent piece, that part is the important part. And just the fact that I think there should be much greater education around what birth control is, how it affects your hormones, and even just how your cycle works and what your hormones do. Like what, what does estrogen do? What does progesterone do? Like when are you um, having those hormones secreted by your body? Like what does that feel like? You know, I think we need more to just know ourselves better um, and, and help with that. Um, and I think that's like really at the crux of it. Yeah, that is so interesting. Why do you think like during during those appointments with an OB or whoever it might be, your your primary care physician, especially when we're, you know, teenagers, why don't you think, I guess this is an answer that everyone probably knows the answer, the question that everyone probably knows the answer to, but like, why do you think not all options are laid out on the table for women, especially thinking about like the modern day, like medical industry? Yeah, I mean, I do think that the way that, Western medicine works, they're looking for the pill to give you. The pharmaceutical industry is making lots of money off of birth control. And I mean, I think that empowering women to know their bodies and to, to have these options and to know more about it is, is really not in their interest. Mm-hmm. So there's really not a big motivation on that side to like do that. Um, and I mean, an interesting thing I was going to say before too about the studies and, you know, sort of the... Um, the beginning of birth control mm-hmm. being accessible to people was that the um, the fact that we get a period, well, quote unquote, a period while right. you're on birth control, which is not really a period, um, that was actually put in there just so that women wouldn't feel like it was so strange to not have a period. So doctors saying that it's your period. Yeah, basically. like so that's a definitely a misnomer. So when you're on birth control, you don't ovulate, and so your uterine lining doesn't thicken, and you're not shedding a uterine lining that you normally would. It's literally a withdrawal bleed. It's so the lack of hormones for those, you know, So is seven it like your days. body's reaction to not being on yeah, birth it's, control? Yeah, okay. basically as soon as you stop the synthetic estrogen or progesterone or combination that you're doing um, or get your IUD taken out, that first period that you have is not a real period. It's just your body having bleeding from withdrawing from those hormones. Um, And so the initial researchers thought that if women didn't get a period, they would find it strange. (laughs) And so, which which makes sense because we probably would. And so because of that, they decided that um, they would have this, you know, every three weeks have sugar pills yeah. and you get bleeding. Um, however, that is very much not a normal period. Um, probably not the type of bleeding you would have. Could be heavier or lighter than what your real period would be like. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just not an actual period. And many women, especially teenage girls, do not know that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of shocking to me that it's positioned as something that would get us to be fine with something or get us to consent yes, faster. To, yeah. It seems, it seems, and I think me personally, and I've talked about my birth control experience in, in, the, in the prior episode, but I feel a little resentful towards, I don't know, the, this, I guess the man, the system, <laughs> the system whatever, yeah. whatever it is, the powers that be, but you know, and it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, maybe it's on us to read the fine print, but when it's when it's 
positioned as something that is better than any other option. And come to, on, like when yeah. you're like 16, you're not going <laughs> to read the fine print. You're barely reading your like homework. Right, like, you know, right. the idea that you would like do this research on your own. I mean, that's like, you know, I cannot imagine that. And as so many of us were put on birth control for other things. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge topic as well is the fact that birth control is often used as like kind of this panacea for women's health. Mm -hmm. So even if your goal is not to um, prevent pregnancy, pregnancy, that birth control is often like the first line, um, the first tool in the toolbox as far as OBGYNs go um, in dealing with a myriad of women's health issues with endometriosis um, and heavy bleeding, painful periods, acne. um, I mean, the list goes on. And so that is also, I I forget what the statistic is. I want to say it's pretty high high that like the number of people put on birth control for non-pregnancy you know prevention is actually like so many people um and so that seems really um, problematic to me especially now that I know so much about what can be done otherwise to help address a lot of these issues that is fascinating because I think a lot of women and I think they have every right to feel this way because of, you know, what they might have been presented as options to them. But some women have, you know, come to me and said, well, I'm on birth control because for this reason or for that reason. And it's it's un- it's unavoidable. I need yeah. to be on it for this reason. How do you respond to that? And is that is that a case of like treating the symptom versus the actual problem? And What are a woman's alternatives in that case where they may have debilitating period pain or something that birth control really does help? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I myself first was put on birth control because I had dysmenorrhea, which is painful periods. Mm -hmm. So I, in high school, at I think like 14 or 15 years old, was having so much pain during my period that I would like vomit and like just not be able oh to like God. do anything. Like I was just like in excruciating pain. Um, and so I was put on birth control for that. And at the time, this seemed like a great solution because it allows you to just like go on living your life, right? And just like continuing to be productive and do my extracurricular activities. I was a, a dancer and a cheerleader at the time. And, um, you know, it's like life can just carry on as usual. And I think for a lot of reasons, that's very appealing, you know, mm-hmm. just being able to like take a pill and like all your problems go away. But like the, at the root of that is like, oh, like this is like your body talking to you. Mm-hmm. It is telling you that things are not right. Yeah. Um, and when I went to Chinese medicine school, I learned that there's various reasons for um, all of the different, you know, pathologies as far as like periods um, and that if you address these things with acupuncture, herbs, lifestyle changes, supplements, that there's so much you can do to help with painful periods, with PCOS, with endometriosis, with all kinds of things. Um, But I, you know, that was like hidden away. That's Mm -hmm. like information that not everyone has access to. So it's like, I completely understand why there is so much fear around coming off of birth control if you don't then have like alternative methods for support um, and don't feel like, okay, like I have tools with which to address this. Um, But for me, I actually came off of birth control when I was, I think I was about 23. And I just had a moment where I was like, I'm just really curious what my body does naturally. And how long had you been on birth control up until that point? I've been on birth control since I was like 15 or so. Okay. 
So yes, fifteen to twenty three. Um, just out of curiosity. Yeah, like, totally. What is my body like. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I'm just really curious yeah. what my period is mm-hmm. like and what I am like, and I just feel like I don't want to take birth control anymore. I was like, I'm over it. Yeah. Um, and you were, so, on the, were on the pill at that time. Yes, yeah. I was always on the pill. I was always a little nervous um, to try the IUD, especially as a teenager. So I think like the pill seemed. Like a least very invasive, yeah. least like very easy option, um, and I think I had like multiple different versions of the pill that I was on. Like first, I had been, you know, a young teenager wanting to have sex and not tell my mom, and I had like gone to Planned Parenthood and, um, you know, definitely gotten the morning after pill and then gotten uh, birth control from them, and that birth control actually made me like really depressed and like really not feel good and I think I was like you know that combined with the hormonal teenage like what's already happening was like (laughs) really not good combination um and thankfully I think I realized that very quickly and was like this is not working for me yeah then I had gone to the doctor and been put on birth control for the painful periods and then that was what I had stayed on um for what was the difference between that and your first (sighs) that's a good question I I don't remember exactly but I want to say that the first one I was on might have been a progestin only pill was like only progesterone and then the second one ended up being like a low dose estrogen um so yeah those hormones do different things Mm -hmm. so for some people they do combinations there's um, a lot of variation as far as like, um, what combo and dose of oral is in or the oral birth control. Um, and yeah, so, so that had been my experience. And when I finally did come off, I was like, wow, I felt, um, like a totally different person. Like I was just like woke up from a dream, you know, was wearing like rose colored glasses that got taken <laughs> off or maybe the other way around. Cause I think I felt like I could finally see in color wow. after like only seeing in black and white for a really long time. Um, and the, everything felt more vibrant. I just didn't realize that birth control was having that much of an impact. Right. I totally thought that, especially when you've been on it since you were f- like 15 and you're 23, so you're right? Like you're just, this is normal life. This is just how things are. And then after I came off of it, Um, I was in complete shock at how different I felt. And I think like as a young woman, it's so important to know yourself Mm -hmm. and like know who you are. And we're all on that journey of discovering who we are. And like the the better you know yourself, the more confident you can like show up in the world. And so I think it's a big disservice to to not have that. And, And I never fully understood that the hormones that birth control was suppressing are the hormones that make us who we are. They give us our personality and our mood and our they're a part of us. And I, as women, I think like we are we are powerful be- beings. We have some magic around us, yeah. right? Like we bear life. Mm-hmm. Like that is special. Like whatever you want to call it, you know, there is something about like we are priestesses. Like we can do things <laughs> that uh, like Preach. other humans <laughs> cannot, you yes. know? Like and I think that that is really special and needs to be honored. And I I think your hormones are, that's what gives you the ability to do that. That's right. where your power lies. Um, and I think the more that science understands the endocrine system mm-hmm. and hormones, which, you know, has not been very well understood up until this point in many ways, um, the more it's really coming to light that um, 
you know, your hormones drive everything and the connections that they have with everything. You know, it's like, it's not just your sex hormones, but it's also your digestive hormones and your sleep hormones. And then it's all they, hormones. they do so much more than, than, you know, what they've been given credit for. Right. Wow. That's it. That is wild to hear. And I, so let's, let's talk about the, like a woman's hormonal cycle yeah. a little bit more. Sure. So I know that there are so many different types of birth control. And I think what a lot of people want to understand is, you know, and you briefly mentioned it, how any type of hormonal birth control or birth control in general disrupts that very natural hormonal cycle. Introducing, I don't know, synthetic hormones or any type of hormones into like your natural hormonal cycle, what will that essentially do for a woman um what does that exactly interrupt and um also like how does that does it pause like the maturation of your natural hormonal cycle and and talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely yeah so your menstrual cycle is divided into a few different phases Mm -hmm. right so like at the cycle day one is the first day that you bleed that's when you get your period Mm -hmm. um you're you know shedding if you're not on birth control you're shedding your uterine lining um once that shedding is complete um the hormones start to rise estrogen rises um and estrogen is responsible for you know all kinds of things i mean it gives us our it's it's a part of our sex drive it's a part of um you know just us being who we are it drives so many different processes and um along with estrogen um during this phase which is the follicular phase right so you have your follicular phase until ovulation and ovulation signals the end of the follicular phase and follicular I'm, as in the follicle yeah the follicle yeah. which is yeah so your your your, fo- your follicle is maturing generally women mature one follicle mm-hmm. every month so which releases the egg yes and i know this yes <laughs> exactly and and your ovaries usually alternate so usually it's the the left and then the right and then the left um and you have one follicle that's been maturing it and and so this is something interesting that um you know the a lot of the women that i work with with fertility we often when they first come to us, let them know that um, we want them to come in for three to four months mm-hmm. um, because that's the amount of time that it takes for one follicle to mature from okay. like deep storage all the way to being released. Right. So that's kind of the window of things affecting that one egg. So that's like so big for fertility, right? right? It's like your one egg that could become your baby. Mm-hmm. It's two to three months before wow. it's released that it is you know, being affected by everything happening in your body. Um, And it's, you know, on its way to maturing and getting released. And the follicle, um, the egg is suspended in fluid. So it's like a little, so you could almost qualify it as a cyst because it's a little fluid filled sac um, and it bursts and the egg is released from there. And the egg is actually, um, the ovary is not connected to the fallopian tube. So there's these little flange-like things on the end of the fallopian tube. <laughs> little and, fingers. Yeah, and they, they kind of like sweep the egg into the fallopian tube, um, but it's not connected. So that's how you can get an ectopic pregnancy because oh, that egg can, right. can, can float, float into everywhere. somewhere else. And the sperm also float out of the fallopian tubes, and they can meet in your abdominal cavity somewhere. Um, and that is a big danger. So so that's how that can happen. But um, as far as the menstrual cycle, right, so as once you get ovulation – the egg is released and gets um, swept up 
into the fallopian tube and you know maybe it meets the sperm in there maybe it doesn't mm -hmm. but eventually will travel down into the uterus um and if it does have if it has metasperm it will implant hopefully um and if not then it will just get shed with the uterine lining um but what's left that little follicle that the egg came out of um, becomes the corpus luteum, and that is what secretes progesterone. Okay. So, and progesterone is such an important hormone um, for us as women. It does so many things. It's actually what makes you um, feel more like calm and at ease. Um, and a lot of premenstrual syndromes, a lot of um, tender breasts and um, mood swings and all these things are actually due to an imbalance of estrogen and progesterone in the luteal phase. Um, and that is the, the, the dance that happens with estrogen and progesterone. You have this, this big surge of estrogen at the beginning of your cycle, your follicular phase, and then you have this spike of luteinizing hormone and um, follicle stimulating hormone and that's what releases the egg and then you have a and then all those hormones drop and progesterone is like the king of the luteal phase like that's the hormone that is the most prominent during that phase um and imbalances can lead to all kinds of issues once progesterone has done its thing if you're not pregnant then your temperature will drop and you will get a period um, a real period yeah. and yeah so so that's kind of your menstrual cycle yeah if you are taking birth control basically you're shutting down that entire process okay. if it's hormonal because your body thinks you're yes. pregnant right yes and because the way that hormones work for the most part is that if you get a synthetic hormone your body doesn't produce the mm -hmm. hormone because it's getting the synthetic version so then you're not producing right. your own estrogen you're getting estrogen from your birth control um and yes and uh, to answer your question for me from age ages 15 to 23 or for whoever has been on birth control for that long your reproductive system has been completely shut down for that entire time it's just on idle it's literally just yes it's just in the background not doing its thing you are not getting that monthly fluctuation of hormones the dance that makes us who we are is not happening um you are basically on one hormone the whole time yes and it is I mean it can be very detrimental after years and so when people do come in and they're like okay I want to have a baby I want to get off birth control I think often it's like what do I expect is my period just going to like come back immediately is it going to be horrible am I going to have all the problems that I had before I got on the right, pill right. or the IUD um and I mean there's not really one answer it kind of depends on the person and and I think that's really like the beauty of Chinese medicine is that we really tailor things specifically to you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a different different origins for similar issues and we see what it is that's happening in your body and then we have tools with which to bring you back into balance. And I think that's like the hard part is um, sometimes our what we consider to be normal in our lives is actually like not healthy for us mm -hmm. right and so how do we like navigate living in this like modern society where yeah. women want to be able to do all things and should have the, the option to do all things um but maybe we aren't living in an alignment with nature anymore the way that we once were and we aren't able to kind of slow down the way that might be necessary for our menstrual cycle to be like really healthy and so Basically, I help women navigate that in between. Yeah. How do you do some of both, right? You know, like, how do you have your career and do all the things you want to do and also um, 
have some daily and lifestyle practices that allow you to have a healthy menstrual cycle and bring your hormones back into balance and the little things that you can do to correct that and, you know, herbs and supplements that you can take and acupuncture is so, so helpful. Yeah, because I think a big thing is is stress Mm -hmm. and so many of us are just so stressed out all the time, feeling overwhelmed um, and calming your nervous system can be really difficult and that's where acupuncture comes in because it is so, so helpful for just like down-regulating your nervous system. Wow. So you were talking also about women who come in and see you and perhaps they are in that scenario that both you and I have been in. They've been on birth control for years. They don't know how it's going to impact their whole being coming off of birth control. In your experience where a woman might be concerned about how birth control will impact like their long-term fertility or re-regulating themselves. In most cases, is this something you can come back into balance with? Like are a lot of the impacts reversible? What have you seen in your experience? Yes, that's such a good question. Um, Yeah, thankfully the impacts are mostly reversible. So I would say that, you know, I do not think that birth control causes infertility. Like I think it plays a role in sometimes getting people to a place where conceiving can be more challenging, mm-hmm. um, but it's certainly not like a direct cause of infertility. Sure, yeah. And I think as far as coming off of it, like it's really about kind of what state your body's been in, what kind of birth control you've been on. I think um, you wanted to talk a little bit about the copper IUD. Yeah. And that's a really good example um, right now because so the copper IUD, which is mainly supposed to be like, you know, the non-hormonal option for people actually has a huge effect on hormones. So usually it is um, a piece of copper inside of a little piece of plastic. Um, And we know that most plastic has some hormone disrupting qualities. Mm -hmm. So that just right there creates some hormone disruption. And then copper also, basically what it's supposed to be doing is the copper creates an inflammatory response that your immune system responds to, and then that disrupts the local hormones and sperm from being able to do what they're supposed to do. So even absent hormones, Mm -hmm. it still disrupts in an alternative way. Yes, exactly. And copper toxicity is actually possible from having a copper IUD. And copper toxicity can lead to a myriad of other really horrible symptoms. And actually, most women who have the copper IUD experience like 50% more bleeding than they would if they didn't have it, you know, with their normal Is that because just the absence of hormones? Um, It it has to do with the, with the, with the copper itself as well. Um, It's, it's not just the absence of hormones. It's just basically creating this big disruption and the bleeding is like so much more intense. So I think usually when you get the copper IUD, they tell you also like, oh, you might have like increased cramps or increased like, yeah. like menstrual bleeding. No, that's, that's actually, and I want to pause there because I want to like throw out a question that we got from, um, from someone on my page because there, there were quite a bit of questions about the copper IUD versus the Marina IUD. So I want to slip those in there. Um, so Nikki and Yachty both ask, um, well, this, this question comes from Nikki. Is the Marina IUD a localized hormone or does it spread throughout the body? I went to my OB to switch out the Marina for the copper IUD. And she said, this actually sounds like what you just said, but <laughs> she said my period would come back with a vengeance. So I was too scared to do it. 
I just want to know if I'll be if I will feel better overall without hormones added to my body. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is such a good question, and um, I wish there was a more simple answer. But really, the yes, the idea that an IUD like such as the Mirena would be localized to just your reproductive system is certainly false. It is. Okay. Yeah, because it's disrupting hormones that. Yes, they are sex hormones, they are reproductive hormones, but they do more than that in your body. So they also have to do with, you know, your bone density, your brain health, like, you know, all kinds of other things in your body that you certainly um, need to be functioning well in order to be healthy, especially to have health and longevity for for many, many years. Um, So I would say that the Mirena and any hormonal IUD is most certainly affecting your entire body, is affecting who you are. It is affecting the decisions that you make. Mm. Um, Actually, that was a really crazy um, discovery for me was that there is a wonderful doctor named Jolene Brighton. She has a podcast of her own. She's also been a guest on many people's podcasts, but she's written a book on birth control that is awesome. Um, And she talks about how decision making is actually affected by birth control. So like women who have been on birth control... They've done studies that show that they are more likely to engage in risky behavior overall. Define risky. What are we talking about? That's a really, I don't even know how to define that. I think just like, you know, I don't know. I'm picturing like me as a teenager, like, you know, doing things that probably were dangerous or I shouldn't have been doing. Or things that you may not consider when you're not on birth Yeah, exactly. It's just like you're, you're, you're you know, saying yes to things and or not thinking about things that maybe under other circumstances right. would give you pause and you would be like, hmm, do I really want to do this or wow. not? Um, and just that, just the fact that your decision-making ability is literally compromised, you know, and altered by these synthetic hormones is something that, you know, if someone had told me that, I would have been like, no way. Yeah. That's like, that's wild. It's like impairment. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's like you're hormone drunk, basically. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, it's crazy. And and so um, to answer your question, yeah, I think anything that's, um, anything that's hormone-based is definitely going to change so much more in your body than just your reproductive just your system. Reproductive. It is definitely, all, you know, not only limited to what's happening in your uterus yeah absolutely um and as far as whether to change to the copper iud i mean yes you know i think what her ob said definitely is a consideration like your periods might be really heavy and you might have cramps um and that's definitely something to consider if you're going to do the copper iud to be honest i wish there there were more alternatives and healthy alternatives as far as birth control i mean i think the the best thing to do is to get to know your own menstrual cycle um, and to understand that you can only get pregnant five or six days out of the month. That is something mm-hmm. that, you know, why was that not taught in yeah. sex ed? You know, like why? And, and like literally why? Not? Like why? <laughs> like why do they not tell young girls exactly how their bodies work? Yeah. You know, and even me now, like I often see women that are, you know, at the height of their career, they are lawyers, doctors, pilots, um, you know, just killing it, like, successful, so smart. Um, You know, I'm in awe of my patients so much of the time. But that doesn't mean that they are not 
somewhat clueless when it comes to how their menstrual cycle works because this isn't information that we think of as being part of like a mainstream education and that is so wrong it's so wrong it's so wrong that you don't know that your period that you need to ovulate to have a real period that your birth control is preventing you from ovulating and having a real period that you can only get pregnant five or six days a month Um, That hormonal birth control will affect everything, including your brain and how you think. You know, like, that information needs to be out there. We need girls, young girls, to know that. Um, And I feel like our generation was very much stuck in that place of, you know, the older women being like, yes, this is freedom. We have birth control. (laughs) It is amazing. But a huge part of the conversation was left out. Yeah. You know, to to our detriment. An equally important conversation. An equally important part of the conversation. And so, yes, you know, having a copper ID might be better than having the hormonal ID. I think it has a, a different way of affecting things. Um, but it can disrupt your hormones just the same. Copper and estrogen have a very intertwined relationship. So copper often makes your body hold on to more estrogen. It makes it harder mm. to detoxify. So estrogen as a hormone has to travel through your digestive system. It goes to you know through the portal vein to the liver and gets um processed by the liver to be you know excreted the way other toxins and other things do um and so that's why digestion and blood sugar and your digestive hormones are such a big part of hormone balance as a woman and fertility and all that and so that's also a piece that we don't get talked to about a lot and as far as yeah I mean I think the best thing to do is to follow your heart as far as what feels (laughs) right for you you know I think like some of it's intuition like if you've been on birth control and you feel great and you're like this works for me that's fine I have absolutely no problem with that which is a lot of women and it's a lot of women and that's totally chill and there's plenty of women that don't have a problem after mm-hmm. they come off birth control and, th- and they're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe their period does come back quickly and they're able to conceive quickly. But I spend a lot of time seeing the women that that's not the case for. Right. Yeah. Right. That come to you. Yes. I am like living testament of not having known any of that also. <laughs> when Maurice <laughs> and I were trying to get pregnant the first time, I was literally like 27 years old and just learned that like, oh my God, I can only get pregnant like five days out of the month. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, how many times have young girls gone to Planned Parenthood for a plan B at a time in their menstrual where they cycle don't need where it. it was literally where they're, and they're also just putting that physically in their body. impossible for them to get pregnant. Yeah. But not having that knowledge. Yeah. I think there are a lot of women now that are more open to like natural cycle tracking or yeah. learning their system. But I mean just the reality of it is it takes time yes. and it will kind of disrupt like your ability to just kind you of have, have like to crazy sex like, with your partner. Yeah, you have to be down for yeah. it. You have to want to do it. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. It so like what, would, what do you recommend for someone like open to doing that, but may, I don't know, may not have the time or yeah. the ability to do that, but I are mean, just very interested in coming totally. off of Totally. I mean, I think there are two options. One is, you know, we now live in this like tech world yeah. and there are <laughs> like so many different apps um, out there that can help you track your menstrual cycle and that's a really good place to start like if you're going to do nothing else you know and you want to come off birth control and you can just like stop taking birth control and track what your period normal period does maybe 
during that phase, you are using condoms. Mm-hmm. You are, you know, using some barrier method. Uh, in the, if you want to be extra safe and cautious, that's what yeah. you may need to do. Long term, it's going to be helpful. <laughs> yes, you, and it doesn't mean you need to do it long term. But in the meantime, just because you don't know what's happening with your menstrual cycle, yeah. if you really don't want to get pregnant, that is the way to ensure it, you yeah. know. Um, sadly, I don't have a better answer. Um, <laughs> I also hate condoms. I mean, everyone hates condoms. Like, it's just, you know, um, one of those things. But, yeah, I think just... One, getting to know your menstrual cycle, right? Like if you do come off birth control, it may take a while for your menstrual cycle to return to sort of what's normal for you. And actually that's, um, I do want to mention too, like I recently have been reading about how like, like the maturation of your menstrual cycle works, right? Uh So like when you first start menstruating, like your menstruation and that hormone cycle takes some number of years to actually like mature and get what to does like ma- what does maturing so mean? basically to get into balance okay to get to the place where it's like have functioning like, yeah. the way it's supposed to the women that say i have a perfect you have no pms yeah. and you like you know just all just having your cycle be the way that it was meant to by nature basically mm-hmm. um as an adult woman takes a number of years and some people say that it even takes into your like mid to late 20s for that oh to happen gosh. and so if you are on birth control since you're a teenager you've basically like shut down your reproductive system and not allowed that like natural maturation to happen and then you come off of birth control and it's like your reproductive system has to like figure out how to get back to where it's supposed to be and that definitely can can take a little time and can use some help and so yeah it's there's just so many pieces to the story that I think are like (laughs) mind-blowing and that was one of them for me where I was just like wait what so okay so uh, my menstrual cycle definitely never matured until I came off of birth control and I who knows like what that would have meant for my health and my body if it had been allowed to like do what it was supposed to do yeah it's kind of like we're like stuck in time Mm -hmm. as I mean we're getting older but part of us is just kind of never given the ability to develop fully or mature fully Mm -hmm. crazy well and I think it's you know my friend said to me recently and like I mean this is like definitely a controversial topic like but she was saying something we're all about controversy I know yeah (laughs) she she was saying something about um you know people talking about trans rights and Mm -hmm. like you know whether whether kid you know essentially kids you know kids going through puberty or maybe before puberty or around puberty right after puberty sure um should be able to have access to hormones to transition right and you know however you may feel about that the truth is is that we were all pumped full of hormones mm-hmm. at that age a yeah. lot of us yeah. you know what i mean like women like wow that's a us, really good point <laughs> yeah I, she like blew my mind she literally said this to me yesterday because i was telling her i was going to be on your that podcast is blowing and my she mind. and and she was like oh i'm so excited for you like i think it's going to be great i'm so glad you're doing this and then we started talking about it and she was like yeah you know she was like however you might feel about the trans rights thing and like access to hormones as you know teenagers well we all got tons of hormones at that age you know like not because we were transitioning but because we were young women and we were wanting to have sex and not have a baby and we were yeah yeah, exactly and so we've like we've been affected by this and and actually there's a lot of overlap too like depolupron which is a shot right so like that's um my one of my best friends in college who like got got the shot as her form of birth control and it was like wow this is so convenient like I'm gonna be able to go like 
I don't know if it's like three months three or something, months, yeah. right? Or like, yeah, before you, I need another one. And it just, just seems like yeah. the most convenient thing, right? She was like, this is amazing. And I'm pretty sure it ruined her relationship. And oh she like <laughs> ended up breaking up with the guy that she was dating because wow. it like made her like kind of lose her mind. Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, not in a serious, like you need to be but it impacted put in a mental institution way, <laughs> but just like, you know, it changed her ability to decision make. Yeah. And she... Uh, you know, later told Risky me she, behavior. Yeah, and she told me later that she felt like it had been kind of the cause of the end of her relationship wow. was like getting the shot and like kind of what that did to her like mental emotional state. Wow. Um. And and birth control also definitely is um, you know, someone I saw a meme on Instagram and it was like something about like depression pills. Yeah. You know, and like you know I kind of chuckled, but oh, like it's, birth control. Yeah, pills. birth control is like depression pills. And I, and yeah. oh my god, and I'm like, it's very um. You know, okay, haha, yeah, but like in a serious way, that is true. Like, yeah. there's definitely studies out there that show that, like, if you give young women birth control, they have much higher rates of depression, higher rates of suicidal thoughts. You know, that the, like I was saying earlier, like, it affects your thought processes, it affects how you think about yourself and the world, and yeah. it affects who you are at a fundamental level. Oh my god, I remember briefly, very briefly, right after I delivered Jade. Because before before they let you leave the hospital, they're like, "All right, what birth control are you gonna back on?" They like bully yeah, you. Yeah, no, birth they seriously. Control. And I'm just I'm just like, okay, I have this new thing in my arms. I have no idea what to do. So like, give me the pill, like yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're like first time so, mom. Yeah, you're exactly. In such so a I'm like, vulnerable state. So vulnerable, and I'm like, okay, just give me the pill. I don't want the thing back in my arm just yet. And so <laughs> you're like, I'm I not could, ready right now. Yeah, and so one. I just like blindly started taking the pill, and I started having panic attacks, mm. and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was just, like, recipe for a disaster, like, postpartum, not sleeping. Sure, a combination of yeah, things, but still, that's relevant, yeah. And then once I got off of it, I was, I was, um, I wasn't having panic attacks anymore. I was still not sleeping, but at least, I just remember waking up just, like, not being able to breathe. And oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry craziness. that happened to you. That's so scary. Yeah, just wild stuff. I want to go into, like, another topic that you, you touched on a little bit, but we talked about, like, IUD, copper ID, hormonal ID, birth control pill. Thinking about the other types of birth control, I had the next one on for, it was the only birth control that my, I was like my body quote unquote would tolerate. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was the, yeah. the, the least of, the least of the annoyances for me but yeah. after trying so many different kinds. What is the difference between, I guess, all of these hormonal options? Like, is it just the amount of hormones? Is it like, like the introduction? Is it where these things are placed in your body like what like is there like are there better or like worse versions of all these things you mentioned the shot as well like when women are considering this or trying different birth controls like what is like the difference at their core for the most part every type of hormonal birth control is affecting your natural hormone cycle it's sh- it's basically shutting it down mm-hmm. majorly the different delivery methods i mean to my knowledge there really isn't enough research about exactly how they the differences affect affect you in many mm-hmm. ways um you know the the oral versions it's going through your digestive system um so there are implications there for for your gut microbiome um digestion overall and the next one on the implant um, and the shot, those are getting delivered straight to your bloodstream. Right. Um, so there, there's a different delivery method there. And I don't know how 
you know, that's, that's something that I'm not super versed on exactly like the differences sure. between like each hormonal type and like what they do. But I do know that any of these types of birth control are certainly having an effect um, on like what we talked about Got as it. far as like your, your mood, your personality, um, your likes and dislikes. Um, I mean, the crazy part was I read an amazing book a few years ago. It's a New York Times bestseller called Sex at Dawn, which is like all about like the, um, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good one. It's like the evolution of human sexuality, like from like caveman days, like wow. how, and they even talk about like the shape of the penis and why it's shaped that way. Wow. And like, you know, all this like really cool stuff. And, and in the beginning part of the book, they talk about how they, there was a study done and this one's referenced a ton, um, where they took women who were on birth control and had them smell, I don't know, like sweaty men's clothing or some, some way to like, you know, men's pheromones. And the ones that were on birth control, the men that they found the most attractive and that they were drawn to and, you know, would have wanted to have sex with based on this pheromone thing, um, were ones that were genetically more similar to them, which is very interesting because... When you say genetically similar, do you mean like male-female? Like so, feminine? No, just as far as like the makeup of DNA, right? Okay. Like when you select a mate and you have a baby with that person, you're mixing your DNA with their DNA. Right. Um, and so there is such a thing in evolution as like hybrid vigor. So that like if you mix genes with people who have other genes, your baby has more resistance to more things right. and it's more likely to be like a resilient human. Shout out mixed race babies. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, yes. But so, so yes, so... So the fact that, so basically they were saying that this could be a contributor to the fact that some women come off birth control when they have a baby and that they then realize that they actually don't like their partner that much, that they're like not in love with that person and that they're like, you know, they're like, so like, you know, we have skyrocketing rates of divorce and that's definitely a thing and you think that it might be it could be that birth control is a contributor to that because the person that you especially if you're in college you know that's when a lot of women go on birth control you're dating you find the person that you want to marry you get married you have a kid you come off birth control and then maybe your like partner doesn't feel like they're the right partner for you anymore and that that is actually can be related to being on the hormonal birth control that changes your mate selection. Um, so, so any like that's gonna like make women not want to come. Oh off my birth god! Control. I know. Okay, that's yeah. That's that's no, but that's like that's. I mean, that's really important to know, though. Yeah, that. it is. Yeah, no, it's totally. So wow. Yeah, including. I mean, actually, my husband and I have been together for gonna be 17 years this oh, uh, February your relationship is about to graduate high school <laughs> I know oh my god <laughs> makes me feel really old okay um, but uh yeah we were high school sweethearts and I was on birth control when we first started dating or I think I got on birth control because we first started dating yeah um and when I came off of it we actually broke up for about a year oh really yeah and and I think that that was partly because contributed to it yeah, yeah and I think you maybe mentioned this in one of previous conversation was, but I did feel like all of a sudden I was like a 13 year old boy like my hormones were raging <laughs> and I was like I am horny and I want to you know I don't know if I want to be with you anymore I mean I just had so many questions yeah. in my mind and we did break up for a year and and we got back together, but I felt like it was so good that we did that because mm-hmm. I feel like I got to be my real self, mm-hmm. um, you know, think about what I wanted in my life and and come back together because 
we ch- chose each other and right. I chose him in my, yeah, yeah. In, in my lucid non-birth yeah. control, you know, non-hormone <laughs> drunkenness. Um, Non-risky decision making. Yeah, exactly. It was like, okay, yes, you are the right partner for me. I yeah. do want to be with you and I choose you and I'm not with you just because we've been together since we were, since I was right. 16. And, you know, yeah, so that, yeah, I think really that was highlights just you guys were meant to be yeah (laughs) it's been confirmed yeah it's it's been confirmed we all go through ups and downs Um, you um touched on the next topic I want to go into and I don't know if I've talked I I think I I think I mentioned this in in a past episode but yeah coming off of birth control for me and permanently this was only like earlier in the year but whenever I have come off of birth control, my sex drive is just like, it's through like the fucking roof. And it, it, I'm kind of embarrassed by it too. And my husband just like, hey, I have no problem with this. But it's just like, <laughs> it often feels so uncharacteristic because I'm just mm. like, you know, I mean, I like having sex, but it's like not to that degree. And yeah. so I think coming off of birth control, I'm just like, oh my God, like, is this like, is this normal? Is this... You know, is this something that I've been just like totally been missing out on? And this is a question that we've also gotten from, um, this is a question from Tor Life. What's up, Tor Life? Um, she is curious to hear, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how sustained birth control messes with your sex drive. And you also briefly mentioned that coming off of it, we, like it just, you just kind of realize the sex drive that, and I, not all women, but someone I'm sure, I'm sure in um, her case as well, like. How does it disrupt your sex drive or your, you know, your relationship with your partner? Yeah. Oh my God. Such a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that, yeah, so important. I mean, we are sexual beings, right? Like we're humans. Like yeah. that is literally the, the purpose of us is like procreation. Yeah. Like sex is literally why we're here. That's how we got here. That is why we're here. Like just to be clear, like, and you know, no matter what your sex drive is like, I think we can all agree on that part at least. And and I think, gosh, like, I mean, the fact that you are shutting down the dance of hormones that essentially gives you your sex Those drive. phases that you were mentioning. Yes, right? because, I mean, you know, I don't know if anyone else, especially as you get into your 30s, like, I feel like at this age, it's very clear to me that, like, I do have an increased sex drive around ovulation. Like, yeah. I can tell, you know, like, and I, that is I the can feel, like... Follicular, follicular yes, phase. Yes, um, yeah. and that is, you know, that beautiful dance, that estrogen, mainly estrogen, and then, you know, the other two ovulation hormones are are providing. And, um, right, that's your cervical mucus increases, your, your body, you are literally... And, I mean, I even see... I, I've seen plenty of memes about this on Instagram, too. <laughs> it's like, you know, like... <laughs> tell him bye, you were just ovulating, you know, like stuff like that, where it's like literally, you know, like your hormones are so strong. It's like, like you're not in the driver's seat. Your hormones are in the driver's seat, actually. Like, you know, like we all think we're in control. We think that we are the ones like, you know, driving the bus, but we are not driving the bus. The hormones are driving the bus. Um, And yeah, and so for, I think that this is true for a lot of women that like being on birth control, being on hormonal birth control really decreases your sex drive. Um, that is definitely, I think, something that many couples have struggled with. And it's just so wild because it's like, okay, in many cases you're going on birth control so that you can have free, so you can have sex freely with this person yeah. that you are in love with or want to you know, have sex with. And and then the thing that you are taking in order to facilitate that 
is then going to make you not want to have sex yeah. with that person. And it, that is so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And sex is such an important, I mean, for long-term relationships, you know, being in a relationship for 17 years, I can tell you that, you know, this is like such a major, You, if your sex life isn't right, like your relationship is not right, yeah. you know? So that being, you know, all dialed in is such an important of a part of us living healthy, happy, fulfilled lives and having good relationships. Um and yes, I do think it does majorly contribute to a decrease in libido. Um, and that is also well documented um, in the literature. And, and and yes, I think that, you know, there's many women who are like, oh, wow, like I, you know, <laughs> now I'm not on birth control and I actually have the desire to have sex. And I mean, there are many women who have issues with their libido for other reasons as well. Mm, You know, birth control is not the only one. Um, But I think that if your hormones are relatively balanced and healthy and where they should be, like, you will feel the sex drives. And, you know, for women, our sex drives don't peak until we're, like, in our 40s or something, you know? (laughs) Really? Yes. really? Yeah, so women actually, like our sex drives like are <laughs> continue to get stronger and stronger and reach oh their peak <laughs> like yeah in your like mid to late 40s I think and wow. then there's like kind of decline so we're kind of like on an opposite trajectory um in some ways and and so yeah and I think that you know this is unrelated to the birth control story but something that I think we could also make a podcast episode yeah. about <laughs> is that um, you know, so many of the women that I know, a lot of them are like, they are the ones that want more sex yeah. and their partners are the ones that maybe wow. don't want as much sex for one reason or another. And that as women, we often are supposed to be this like, you know, we have this like virgin whore dichotomy <laughs> that we are supposed to abide by and, and, you know, feeling like the man is the one who is supposed to be oh always wanting to have sex yeah. and navigating that. And then you throw birth control into the mix and it's like, ooh, okay, there's there's a lot going on there now. <laughs> my gosh. God, yeah, this really could ha- this could be a separate episode. Oh my God, totally. So, so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, I just, I felt so embarrassed. Just, I'm just like, I feel like a freaking horn dog. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that's our, your hormone cycle is definitely what controls your libido and what makes you feel attracted to your partner, what makes you want to have sex. Yeah. Um, and if you're shutting that down, it's definitely going to have an effect on that. Wow. Wow. So eye-opening. Um, I want to go through a few more questions that we have. I'll, I mean, some of these might, we might have covered them briefly. I just want to make sure that we call out these folks. Yeah, um, Toy Life also has another question on natural cycle tracking. So any commentary that you have on natural cycle tracking, particularly when you aren't ready to have a baby? Yes. Yeah. Okay, very good question. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple good apps like natural cycles Mm -hmm. (laughs) that let you like sort of tell it if you want to or not but if you're not using an app and you are just tracking your cycle via cervical Mm -hmm. mucus or doing basal body temperature on your own with just the basal body temperature thermometer um the idea is kind of the same it's like you're looking for um the difference in temperature that's going to tell you when you're actually ovulating and then you'll know when your fertile days are. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your follicular phase, your basal body temperature, and, and just for those who don't know, basal body temperature is different than your regular temperature. So not like under the tongue. Yes. Yeah. Um, so your regular thermometer, you know, you're supposed to be around, you know, 98.6 degrees and, um, you, I think there's only one decimal point. Okay. Um, but a basal body temperature thermometer gives you two decimal points so it's a more accurate reading but you can take it 
However, and yes, you can't take it anytime. You have to take it first thing in the morning, but when you wake up, before you get out of bed, before you even before go you to pee, before you move into an upright position of really? any Really? So you have to be laying down. So you need to be <laughs> laying down. And so this can be kind of a challenging thing yeah. to incorporate into your routine, but this is absolutely the best way to know exactly what is happening. Um, and so when you take your temperature, uh, well, and also I should say now there's a bunch of cool gadgets and ways to yeah. do this without a temperature do it, like, under your tongue you can you can yeah. definitely do do just regular under your tongue with, with a basal body temperature thermometer and that works just fine but now we have like temp drop and the aura ring oh, and um various um amazing often female-led companies that are trying to make this easier for mm-hmm. women who are both trying to family plan and trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or who want to come off of Or who want to just know. Yeah. yeah, or you just want to know what's happening in your yeah. body. Absolutely. Um, and so that that makes it really easy because then you don't have to take a, your temperature mm-hmm. and you have something that's just reading the temperature for you. Now there's some um, contention about how accurate yeah. those things are in comparison to an actual thermometer but for the most part I would say that people do pretty well with them um, I have an aura ring myself that I just got and I really love um, because I was definitely struggling with remembering yeah. to take my temperature <laughs> before I got it but I'm also like a chronic nighttime and morning peer so that makes it really hard to uh, take your yeah, temp before you get up to pee because it's like I'm not even fully awake I'm in like a zombie right, state right uh, so <laughs> late there to remember. yeah exactly I hear it's is this true that like to get a basal body temperature, you need to also have been sleeping for a certain amount of yes. time. So, so like if you ideally, wake up in the middle of the night, it disrupts Right, that. it does, yes. And having bad nights of sleep, being hungover, alcohol is a big hormonal and endocrine disruptor mm-hmm. and sleep disruptor. So drinking also can affect it. Stress can affect it sometimes too. Um, the ideal thing would be to take it around the same time every morning, mm-hmm. but sometimes your schedule varies. Just that, things yeah. to like take into consideration. It doesn't mean that it's like you can still see the pattern usually, but you might have outliers okay. like of you know certain days where the temperature was like, oh, okay, that was because I was, you know, I was hungover that morning. Yeah. So basically in the follicular phase, the temperatures usually hover somewhere in the low 97s. Okay. So like 97.0 to 97.5 is fairly normal. There can be reasons why it could be lower or higher than that. Um, your thyroid function is a big one for body temp. So sometimes um, I actually do basal body temperature w- or look at my patient's basal body temperature and, you know, have them go out and get thyroid labs if it looks oh, like a little bit, you know, there's some weird stuff going on yeah. and we're like, hmm, maybe there's a hypothyroid, maybe there's a hyperthyroid issue um, because your thyroid has to do with your, um, you know, temperature regulation in your body a lot. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so generally follicular phase, like when you get your period, you get a big drop in temperature. Um, your period starts and then the temperatures usually stay around that range to the low 97s un- until ovulation. Okay. So ovulation is where you will see a spike in temperature. And that oh, spike okay. in temperature happens um, because of what we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So the egg gets released the, and the corpus luteum that's left behind secretes progesterone. And the progesterone is what makes your temperature go up. Interesting. So okay. then your temperature will be elevated for the luteal second phase of your cycle. In that um, elevated state, your temperature will reach usually about 97.7 or above. So it's really it's like, Yeah. And so and these small. aren't super perfect for everyone so aura ring and a lot of the apps it's like basically it's like point you know oh one degrees difference between the two phases so it's like for some people maybe they have ovulated but the temp is like not is a little lower but they have that biphasic structure um and it's confirming that they are ovulating 
So it's basically the difference in temperature between mm-hmm. your, you know, baseline during follicular phase and then the rise that happens afterwards. Um, but for most people, I would say that that is about 97.7 or higher. And that is confirming that you have ovulated once you get about three temperatures. Um, the egg is just making it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you're like the corpus luteum is doing its thing. Progesterone is happening. Um, we support this with acupuncture lots of the time like acupuncture is a great way to help your natural hormones you know come into balance we can help estrogen and progesterone production in the body through acupuncture and yeah that difference in temperature once you do that for a few months then you know like after tracking it oh looks like i'm ovulating around cycle day 14 or 13 or 15 um and then your fertile window is about four the four or five days maybe up to six days around that. So it's like the the egg will survive for 24 hours after it's released. Mm-hmm. Um, so you count like one day post ovulation um, and then maybe the four days before. And before. Yeah. Because and, sperm can live. Yes. So the idea like is. five days or something. Right? Yes. There's varying ideas about this. I mean, sperm can survive anywhere from 24 to, yeah, about, there's, <laughs> some people say 72 <laughs> hours. Some people are like five to seven days. I mean, you know. We're just being safe. <laughs> if you have super sperm. Um, although, to be honest, like the health of sperm and testosterone levels overall have been on the decline in recent years. Oh, That's really? like a really um, interesting Why? topic as well a good question um one is endocrine disruptors right like plastics and chemicals in different things um stress also lifestyle right like we're all just stressed stress (laughs) oh my god stress 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 is the worst one but like vaping drinking partying stress from work we'll say stress a few more times yeah and and so it's crazy because what's considered a sort of normal sperm analysis now a lot of those ranges 20 or 30 years ago would have been considered abnormal. Mm. But they've changed the parameters because most people are, you know, now in this other place. And yeah, there are some scary fertility studies that show that, you know, male sperm health is really on the decline and that Mm. it's going to get pretty bad. And so, yeah, IVF and the assisted reproductive technology world has definitely taken off in recent years because of this issue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, infertility becoming more of a problem. And yeah, but basically for for those who just want to track their menstrual cycle just to know about themselves or to do any of these things, um, doing the basal body temperature is absolutely like the best way to know exactly what's going on. And then... And I think like another part of her question was like interest or at least the openness of natural cycle tracking, but the risks that might come with it if you're mm, still okay, if having you're, yes. sex with your partner totally. and they're not you know ready to have a baby. Totally. Or, yeah. If that is the case, I would certainly expand that window, okay. right? You know, <laughs> yeah. don't make maybe make it a more of a week to 10 day window to begin with okay. so that you're you know giving some leeway for maybe the ovulation is happening a little earlier or a little later than okay. you think it is because you said it um, takes it takes probably three or four months to really yeah understand. I would say to know what your what the usual is for you especially after having coming off mm-hmm. or oh come yes off of definitely after withdrawal could even be longer than that I would say in general it takes a few months just to know like what your regular yeah. is but yeah so so expanding that window a bit maybe maybe that means using condoms or or the pullout method during that time I mean to be honest the pullout method done correctly does yield pretty good results I mean if you look at um you know yeah okay correctly what does that mean okay that could be its own long discussion um but when you look at like the you know how much like with condoms 
hormonal birth control pull out like you know what the percentages that people that those methods fail yeah it's actually not that different yeah and especially if you're doing this with your cycle tracking and you know okay this is my window where things are it's you know I need to make sure that I'm being extra safe and extra careful um and but you know it is more risky I mean Mm -hmm. I definitely uh, you know my best friend came off of birth control and was tracking her cycle and you know, I think she like blanked out about where she was in the cycle. And, you know, I have a lovely niece now that I love <laughs> very much. <laughs> and is she's now five years old and I am her. so happy that she exists. Um, but I mean, that's also like important to call out. Of course. Though. Yeah. yeah there is not... risk with everything. Yeah. Um, I think we've all seen the pictures of the babies being born holding the IUD as well. So I, there's risk no matter what you do. You yeah. know, it's. It's all of these things can fail. It's really up to you how much you are paying attention and, yeah. you know, being diligent yeah. um, about minimizing the risk. Um, but I would say that, you know, I have now successfully used only, you know, tracking my cycle as my main form of birth control for yeah. the past like 10 years, basically. Yeah. And it is possible and it's totally doable. Yeah. And I think the important distinction, or I think for me, is I don't. Like, birth control is the right option for some people. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and yeah. I think that's also... Like, I don't yes. want this to be, like, an episode on, like, bat, just, just <laughs> bashing just birth, hate birth, birth control. Hate birth control. Because, I mean, I've been on birth control for the majority of my, my adult life. And I... I feel like I need to also give it credit for what it's been able to do for me in terms of convenience. Oh, my God, yes. But, like, I think where, like, where I have a little, you know, issue is that talking about alternatives like the not like natural family planning is yeah. just something that's not given equal credence no. or like and it's not if you um, go see your ob they will, they not, will not suggest talk about that it. To yeah you or, or teach be you like, about that yeah and i think the only time it's been mentioned is at you know in going into prenatal appointments or or whatever is like you'll fill out a paper that says after you give birth, like, what type of birth control are you going to go on? And there's, like, a box that says, like, natural planning. (laughs) And that's, like, the only time it's mentioned on, like, this paper that they don't care about. So, I mean, I think that's just the biggest thing for me is we're not presented with all these options options. that have, you know, very equal success, nor are we, nor do we discuss the very real um, effects of birth control and synthetic hormones on our bodies. Yeah, and I think that brings us full circle to the beginning of our conversation right. where, you know, I mentioned that really this is a, it's a conversation about consent. It's a yeah. conversation about like knowing what you are putting in your body and what it is doing to you. And then as far as being okay with it, then you are able to make that decision. Maybe it is for you. You're like, yes, I am okay with these risks. I'm okay with what this is doing and because I feel that, you know, it works for me for X, Y, Z reasons. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the fact that, that so many of us had our minds blown by discovering (laughs) what was happening. That's the part that I think, you know, we should work to avoid. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. I definitely agree with you. And I, and I mean, I think, I think different things can be said and like, different cultures because I know like in certain cultures and religions they are very anti-birth control oh, but I think like mo- like in modern day society if you're like 
in public school, like the, these are the only options that yeah. are presented to you. It's either abstinence yeah, or it's right. birth control. Totally. And it's like, there's nothing in, in between. between. And mm-hmm. just like, you think we're idiots. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. And like, I still am, you know, I think women should always have access to birth control. But yeah, like you said, I think, yeah, we just need to know what all the options are and need to be taught about our cycles. Like when you're a young woman, like, hey, you are going to start menstruating yeah. now. This is what this means. You have, you know hormones that are going to start you know this beautiful dance Mm -hmm. and that is going to create the possibility for you to bear life like you are going to ovulate and you are going to shed your uterine lining and it's not like you know gosh I hate to refer to everything as like a meme on Instagram but that's just like where we're at I guess but I (laughs) like I'm like oh another thing I saw on Instagram you know the classic like girl Especially, I think, in high school and, like, when you're younger where it's, like, you're going to the bathroom mm-hmm. and you're hiding your, like, tampon or in your, your pad. Sleeve. Right, in yeah. your sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Ovira, um, which is actually a really cool – speaking of solutions mm-hmm. for cramps and other things, um, there are a couple of these sort of, like, TENS units out there now that help with people who have, like, really, really serious cramps okay. where you literally put these, like, sticky electrical pads oh on your abdomen wow. and they create an electrical pulse and it actually – is so helpful for oh, wow. um, for menstrual pain. That's great. Um, and you don't have to like take you know pain reliever mm-hmm. or go on birth control, etc. Um, but yeah, but I think like we can all relate to that. Of like you're like hiding that you have a period mm-hmm. because so taboo. it's taboo. And it's like how can this be taboo when this is how we all got here? <laughs> we literally every one of us came from a woman who ovulated and menstruated you know and the fact that we all felt like we needed to hide it yeah you know and do not get me started on breastfeeding either (laughs) oh my god it's it's like that for all it's your period um miscarriages abortions and breastfeeding like those are like shame yeah it's feel shame for all of this so so common and it's just it's wrong that we are still in 2023 living in a world where where this is happening yeah so yeah it's yeah, it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, slowly being undone in yes. certain areas of the world. Like, I feel like we live in a bubble where a lot of this yeah. stuff is yes, being modernized mm-hmm. and, like, empowered by technology. But, yeah, just so slow. <laughs> just yeah. so slow. Yeah, totally. Well, I know we, we have a couple other questions, but I feel like you have already addressed them. Yeah, Yeah, Abby, Abby Williams asked, and I, I'm asking this knowing the conversation we've already had it's like what form of birth control do you recommend (laughs) is your answer like none of them (laughs) oh my god that's so hard but I mean I guess it just depends on the person's situation and body rate absolutely I mean I think that if you're in a place in your life where you can get away with with tracking your cycle naturally I think that's always the way to go Mm -hmm. but I understand that that's not the case for a lot of people so I think you know for some people maybe like low dose oral birth control is the lesser of all the evils and that's the way that they're going to be able to you know live their life in a way that they want to for other people yeah maybe the IUD is the I mean to me I feel like Ideally, I would love for this to be something that we could pour more funding and research into, Mm -hmm. that we could have the medical, you know, research community come up with better alternatives for us as women. Because right now, it does feel like there are no good options. And that is really disheartening. And I hate, like, not having a good answer for that question. But I think it's not, it's not on me. It's on the medical, 
you know, industrial complex at large to solve this issue and to create a form of contraception that doesn't damage women's natural hormone cycles. Yeah. Um, so I would say, yes, maybe none of them. <laughs> it would be my personal <laughs> answer. Yeah. Um, you know, like if but I... But with that needs to come. But with that, yeah. More, and, I, and then yeah. I think about it, you know, I'm like, okay, if I have a daughter too, because I know a lot of people, their parents gave mm-hmm. them birth control too, because yeah. they were like, oh, I, you're going to college? Like, here, take don't birth control. Pregnant. Don't get yeah. pregnant. <laughs> the don't get pregnant speech. And so I'm thinking like, okay, if I have a daughter of this age, like, would I, you know, I think I would want her to have this information and to have her decide so you know everyone needs to make their own choice as far as like what feels right for them you know I I don't think I can really answer like what's the best or what's not the best but I do think that shutting down your hormones does have a detrimental effect for your mental and physical health yeah okay so I think For the last bit of our time, I want to go into some personal stories that some women have been willing to share, and I'm so grateful for that. And just wanted to kind of get like your reaction or any commentary that you have um, so that they can, you know, kind of share that with you. A good split of these two are also, you know, I feel like I'm kind of in the minority in this conversation that like, here's how birth control has helped me and um, would love to kind of hear like your reaction to that. And I'll read all these anonymously. I've had quite an experience with different birth controls myself. After going off birth control, I felt infinitely better in so many ways. I was put on various medications for anxiety only to find out that I needed to get off of birth control to fix my mental health. Wild ride. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Good for her for figuring that out and for, for you know, trying that and, and realizing that, that that was the thing that was really contributing to her issue the most because it can be really hard to get off of birth control especially if you are feeling like that's the only thing that is helping whatever issue you were put on it for or yeah feeling really unsure about preventing pregnancy without it um so yeah oh my god props to her okay so this is an interesting one as well this birth control stuff is so interesting i'm on the other side of things i wasn't on birth control until after i had my first baby then i had the morena iud for a year and a half got it out, was pregnant two weeks after I got that out, had, (laughs) I think this is um, her second or third child, got the Marina IUD, had that for a year and a half, then got pregnant like a week and a half later, I was pregnant with next child and got the IUD again because mama ain't popping out, no more babies. (laughs) But it makes me wonder if I were to have been on birth control young, it would have changed things for me and my ability to get pregnant. Yeah, no, that's such a good question. I mean, yeah, we all have varying levels of of fertility. And, you know, I mean, for her, it sounds like I do think that going on it later in life is probably reduces some of the harm. I I do feel like when you're really young and like we were saying, like your hormones and menstrual cycle hasn't matured, like I do feel like it can be and this is not based on research, just based on like what I've seen Mm -hmm. in my own practice and like kind of my gut feeling about it. But yeah, I do feel like later on, especially after you've had a a child, your hormones are in a different place. Right. And and yeah, I think for some, you know, it sounds like the IUD was a good good call for her. And, um, you know, if she didn't have any 
adverse effects that were really like prominent for her, then, you know, that's totally a reasonable option. And, and yeah, two weeks after getting it out, that's pretty, I would say I definitely don't hear stories like that too often in my line of work. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but that's, um, yeah, yeah amazing. <laughs> Fertile Myrtle. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> this story was a lot to, was a lot to read. And um, I really want to give time to this one. The pill makes every woman in my family, including myself, feel absolutely crazy and borderline suicidal. We've each found alternative to oral contraceptives, but horrible lessons to learn for each of us. My endo specialists also require me to be on birth control as basically a condition to receive their care. The assumption is that birth control helps slow the progression of my disease, but there are some controversial opinions on this. Also controversial opinions on requiring women to be on certain meds to seek comprehensive care. Worst birth control of my life was Lupron. Wasn't used for birth control, but is super effective because it throws your body into menopause and stops your ovaries from functioning. It's a nasty drug and you can only be on it for a year or else it causes heart and bone damage. But it creates a super sped up version of menopause and then it's a roller coaster on hormones while on it. Then when you return to ovarian function. So intrigued and interested to hear other stories and your perspective. It's wild what we put our bodies through. One of my aunts did early stage birth control and it fucked her up in the 70s. Then she got an early stage IUD and it punctured through her uterus and she almost died. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, That is so scary. A puncture through the uterus is absolutely like worst case scenario. Oh my God. How, how scary for that to happen. To her earlier point yeah that's how i mean endometriosis is a very poorly understood disease it has been mainly thought of as a you know reproductive disease but i would say that new more and more new research shows that that's really not true it is a systemic disease and mm. actually there are cases of even men having endometriosis oh really basically you know it's it's a con- it involves your whole all your body systems um, and and yes, the idea about loop. So Lupron is an interesting one. So that's a lot of people take Lupron during their um, IVF journeys as well. So I do see a lot of patients who are on Lupron, and I can personally attest to how insane it can make people feel. You know, I've had definitely patients tell me like I feel like not myself, and I feel like I, you know, like I'm on mute or like I, you know, just there's a lot of like tension that builds up in the body I mean putting yourself in a artificial state of menopause is I mean you can just it sounds intense and it is so um my heart goes out to this person and yeah a lot of doctors will use birth control that's one place where there especially from western medicine there's not a lot of answers as far as like what can be done to address um, the symptoms of endometriosis and the spread of endometriosis. In Chinese medicine, there's actually a lot that we can do for endo. Um, there's a lot of herbs that can help to um, dissolve endometrial adhesions over time. Um, they can help with the pain and inflammation. We have a lot of tools like, you know, with herbal medicine um, that work really well for, for these types of things. Um, but in Western medicine, they don't have that. And so birth control and things like Lupron are the main things that they use because 
like she said, it throws you into an artificial menopause, your reproductive system stops working, and then so because the hormones aren't happening that the endometrial tissue responds to, you're not getting endometriosis growth, and usually mm. it will shrink during that time. Wow. And so for some people who are trying to have an embryo transfer, this is a protocol that's often used before the transfer is done in order to try and prepare the uterus um, and the pelvic cavity for um, a possible pregnancy. But yeah, I mean, this is one of those places too where I'm just like, you know, if this disease affected men mostly, I think we would have way more answers yeah. about it. Um, there is just so Seriously. much more research needed um, to understand endometriosis. And endometriosis is actually, they have found endometrial tissue on people's livers and hearts and basically far from the uterus within the abdominal oh um, and thoracic cavity. So it is certainly not well understood and it is absolutely fascinating to me as, as a disease. I have many patients who have endo, who have struggled with this, you know, being told that they need to have a hysterectomy basically and losing oh their reproductive organs and then still having endometriosis. And I mean, you know, you name it, it is affects your digestion. Um, I actually have a couple of patients who have uterus didelphus. So they were born with two uteruses. Oh my gosh. Um, and they both had, have endometriosis and one of them had a pelvic kidney. <gasps> so a kidney that basically migrated and was under one of her ovaries. And she recently had surgery um, to remove it and to remove um, endometrial adhesions. And to be honest, it seems like finding a good endosurgeon is like one of the most important things that you can do and someone who really can actually excise um, endometriosis properly because there's also been many cases of people having surgery and the surgery making things worse. The surgeon didn't know what they were doing. That can be, oh my gosh, a just going down a rabbit hole of its own. But yeah, oh my gosh, that is very interesting story about the women in her family and all being affected by this. I mean, I think that for some people, they're way more prone to having mental health crises around these kind of hormonal things. And it, I wonder, too, about her family, like, if they all had this same type of birth control, mm -hmm. like, if it was different oral right. birth control, like, was it estrogen, was it progesterone? I mean, that would be really interesting to know if this was, like, just any form of birth control or if they all had similar types that they were taking yeah too. yeah wow. um but definitely i mean there are you know genetic predispositions in family to certain mental health and other things and um yeah that is very interesting that Whew. that happened yeah, that, yeah that is such an intense story um yeah i'm so grateful that she was able to share that with us yeah oh my gosh um, thank you we'll we'll end with one more because i think this is something equally as important to, to call out. If you want a counter example, my IUD, Morena, was a saving grace. I used to have insanely heavy periods. We are talking super tampons always. Often had to change every hour or two. Ruined oh so gosh. many clothes, so many sheets. I got it semi-regularly, but it could range from 28 to 35 days. It was both so embarrassing and so hard to manage. Once I got an IUD, I had regular light bleed for about a day. Some slight moodiness, as always with PMS, but in line or less than before. It felt like a miracle. 
I did the pill for a couple of years and that never felt great, but gosh, the IUD was a lifesaver for me. So I know that you touched a little bit about, you know, the misconception of period versus withdrawal bleed, but for very intense cases like yeah. this, where birth control has been extremely helpful for, you know, those often debilitating scenarios, you know, it's not like this person needs to consider alternatives, but if they ever were, what would yeah. that be? And like, how do you even think about seeking yes. treatment for something like that? Or is this something that you specialize in too? Uh, yeah, totally. So, so glad that she was able to find something that helped. I mean, first, let me say that. Yeah. Like, I mean, being in that state is horrible. You are so prone to anemia and, you know, just makes your life miserable. Oh, I mean, I heavy, think about that. yeah. So, so heavy bleeding is, is definitely something that often birth control is used allopathic medicine. That's a, an answer for that. Um, I would say that I definitely have many clients that have had issues such mm -hmm. as this one. So there absolutely are other things that can be done to address. I mean, that is even on the level of hemorrhaging. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're changing your tampon every hour, that's a, lot, yeah. that's a hemorrhage. Like yeah. that's you, you're bleeding out. Mm -hmm. Like that's a lot of blood. You can faint. You can, I mean, you, that, that blood loss is very serious. Mm -hmm. So doing something about it immediately is absolutely necessary. Um, so for her finding the IUD and getting that taken care of, I mean, I'm just glad that she's not dealing with mm -hmm. that anymore, but there are definitely other things that can be done. So if someone came to me in this position, there are specific herbs, Chinese herbs that are meant to stop bleeding. Mm -hmm. They work really well. They work fast. Yeah. Are they taken orally? Orally, like, yeah, okay. taken orally. Um, so I would definitely like get someone on herbs. We would work on regulating their menstrual bleeding through herbal medicine mm -hmm. and acupuncture in a natural way. That being said, you know, I'm not saying, oh, if this person had done Chinese medicine, yeah. <laughs> like it would have been fine. You know, obviously everyone is different. I don't know the the specifics of her case and, and, and what other things are happening for her with mm -hmm. her health. Um, but I will say that I have had success um, dealing with the same type of situation with other people. And I think that that's really, you know, part of the conversation today too, is that like in Western medicine, like, birth control is the panacea cure for mm -hmm. all of these things. It's like, we are going to just um, give you the birth control. Through that, we're going to take care of the symptoms that are, you know, ruining your life, yeah. essentially. Mm -hmm. But it is a Band-Aid solution, mm -hmm. you know. Like, for her, the IU, the hormones are keeping her period from doing that. If she were to come off of them, might, might it happen again like that? It could. And so a lot of the work that I do is getting more at the root cause mm -hmm. of the problem and finding out like what, why is this happening? Like what is causing this? And we're going to using supplements, herbs, acupuncture, red light therapy, moxa, cupping, like all the tools yeah, at my disposal, yeah. whatever is going to work for that person, we're going to bring your hormones and menstrual bleeding into balance. And also maybe that involves lifestyle changes. And, you know, I think alternative medicine, that's like kind of one of the big differences is like, you know, with Western meds, it's great because a lot of us can just go on doing the things mm -hmm. that we're doing. Um, and a lot of my job involves um, patient education and lifestyle changes. And so you want to have to, or you have to want to do those things yeah. and be open to those things. So yeah. and not everyone is, and that is okay. Mm -hmm. But there, there are other solutions out there. So, um, but I'm glad that this person got their yeah. bleeding under control because that is so absolutely a horrible place to be in. No, that is, thank you so much for sharing and commenting on that, especially cause I, you know, I'm also, I also am just so curious as to like how your treatment has helped women. I think we'll stop there for today. We've already been chatting for almost two hours. <laughs> I don't want to make people just like, oh God, it's going for two no, hours. I'm going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, this has been amazing, Jess. Thank you so much. I want to make sure that people know where to find you. Do you have an Instagram or website or anywhere that people can um, see you and your work publicly? Um, If not, that's okay too. (laughs) Yes. No, absolutely. Um, I do have a website. It is um, yerbabuenamedicine.com. Um, I'm based here in San Francisco. You can also find me on the Blue Ova Health website and look at my bio there. Um, and I am on Instagram. Um, my handle is Vera La Veranera. I'm going to link all of these, you guys. So yes, you'll, you'll see it in the link, but you know, it's my personal and professional Instagram. I don't have like, I, I I probably will have one in the future, but for now that's like, kind of where I'm at. I I do a lot of house calls and see a really high volume of patients at the clinic I work in. And it's just such an honor to help women with these issues. And, and it's, you know, I love being able to share like my own story. And I think like, you know, we're like all in this together as women, like we're all navigating this. We're all, you know, trying to figure out like what's right and what works and what's best for us. So no, just, I was just so excited to talk with you because I know we've both been through very similar things and journeys on birth control. And I think that's what a lot of women are just looking for, especially women our age. And so this is just a really special episode. And I will be sure to link both websites and Jess's Instagram in the episode bio and on my and on my page as well. So I'll be spamming the hell out of you on (laughs) all of my socials. Thank you so much for joining. Anything else you want to close out with or no I think that's it just thank thank you so much for yeah. having me and I'm, I'm so glad that you know I think both of our Instagram rants <laughs> led to it was like yeah. you sharing that and then me responding to you with a bunch of word vomit about how no, I was feeling about what, I was, what you I shared like, and <laughs> I'm just really glad that this was able to become this podcast episode and how special that is and just thank you so much for having me on yes amazing well thank you so much and We will see you guys next time. Bye. Oh, it's still recording. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so good. Okay, let me save this. (laughs)